Welcome to a Frugal Athlete Podcast, where we interview athletes, both current and former, on the prudent financial practices and smart career decisions they are making. In these episodes, we dive into what it means to be a frugal athlete. You might think that frugal just means being cheap, but as you will soon learn, being frugal is more complex than that. I'm your host, Amobi Okugo. In this episode, we got one of the gurus in the game, Dan Kennedy. If you don't know Dan Kennedy, you soon will. Former MLS great, played for multiple teams across the league, including LA Galaxy, uh, FC Dallas, Chiefs USA, to name a few. And just the overall great guy, someone I really respect, you know, spent some time working with him in the Players Union, and uh, he's done a lot to help not only myself, but other players that are looking to get into real estate. Shout out to our partner, Obsidian, by Magma Capital Funds for making this podcast possible. They are a quantitative hedge fund built exclusively for current and former professional athletes. Obsidian works hard to change the investing game for athletes by utilizing machine learning and AI that adapts to the ever-changing financial market. They strive to perform well in all environments just like you. Thanks again, and shout out to our partner, Obsidian, by Magma Capital Funds. Uh, so this is going to be a real estate masterclass. So, Dan, how are you doing today? I'm good, buddy. Thanks for having thanks for having me on and um, <clears throat> overstating my underwhelming Major League Soccer career. <laughs> hey. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> nah, it, 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 you got to put it in perspective. You know, a lot of people aren't lucky enough to play professional sports, and you're someone that's leveraged their career. Um, I remember when you went to LA Galaxy, someone had said something like, oh, yeah, he's, he's playing for LA Galaxy, but after practice, he goes to USC and does business school. I was like, wait, run that back. How does that? So give us some context and then yeah. get to that point. Yeah. So, well, yeah, I mean, you know, the majority of my career in Major League Soccer was with the Chivas USA organization, which is now it no longer exists, but the franchise is now LAFC. Um, and I had, you know, I had a breakout career at that club and it was the worst club to play for in the history of the league. Right. Like literally. <laughs> and like, I became, I became like the anchor of this club, like the team captain, Southern California guy played in Puerto Rico, played in Chile. I learned Spanish. So I connected with the community, connected with the ownership. And I mean, the club store, like just story after story, problem after problem. I, I, uh, the reality is like my class of MLS guys that came into the league in 2005, like our, our dreams of making millions of dollars candidly didn't really exist. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was like, well, let's go have a career. Let's go see where this takes us. Let's go experience something. Um, and so I always had my eye on what was next. Uh, and I, I really believed after my experience at the players association that I would be involved in the game um, in some capacity and the growth of the game, where it's going. It, 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 like my dad was like, man, if you get out of this, if you get out of major league soccer, you are a fool, you know, <laughs> because we were, it, we, yeah, you know, you can't, we came through it together. Like the, yeah. we're in it at the, at the ground floor. Now there's a, you know, a couple generations before us that can even tell a, a crazier story. Um, so I was always of this mindset, like this growth mindset, self-improvement mindset, get involved, wanted to learn everything about the league. Um, and I started pursuing an application for my MBA while I was at Chivas USA. Chivas folds. I get drafted to Dallas. I literally was like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retire unless you guys trade me because I'm going to go to business school and I know where my future is going, you know. And at the time I was 33, I was pretty young for a goalkeeper. So ended up getting uh, getting an extension on my contract. It made sense for me to go to Dallas for a year. Great lesson on leverage right there. Yeah, please. yeah, it's all leverage. You got to act <laughs> like you're not, you, you know, you got to act like you, you have nothing to lose. And then, um, and then ended up after a year in Dallas, I had an injury plague season. Um, and I just went to Oscar and I was like, listen, man, I, I know there's a couple teams knocking on your door. He's a coach. He's a, uh, Oscar Perez is an amazing coach but he loves young players. And I'm like, well, I know I'm not that. And so I said, well, if you can trade me to LA and get something for me, then you relieve your salary cap too. Can we just agree that I'll be here next season unless you can trade me to LA and we shook on it. And he was just, he was the man dealing with it. Like it was such a great experience. So he trades me to LA. I'm where I want to be. I get accepted into business school 
And I really thought my career at LA was going to be like five years, right? But this is just how life is. I had another injury plague season. Bruce left for the national team and I was out. And the opportunity was, hey, if you want to still play in Major League Soccer, you can go to Minnesota. And I was in business school. My wife had a great job. We have young. She was actually, I think, pregnant. We had a young son already. And I was like, hey, even though I'm 34, I'm done, you know. And it's a great example of like, that's pretty much 95% of like players retiring from professional sports ends that way. It's very, no one rides off in, or I shouldn't say no one, very few people ride off into the sunset. And yeah. so that's why we need to be prepared. No, that's a great lesson. Everyone thinks they're going to get like the farewell tour and every team they go to, they're going to give them like a package. It's yeah. almost just like a decision. It's like, you want to keep playing? It's like, ah, no, nah, I'm right. ready. So obviously, okay, you go to uh, school, uh, USC for business school, yep. um, and now you're doing amazing things in the real estate front. Did you know real estate was something that you wanted to do going to business school, or how did that all work out? Yeah, so I really wanted to dive into like the financial side of business. So you know, we on the on the players association understand some of the finances of Major League Soccer. I wanted to understand the the a front office horizontally. So I went and worked for the Galaxy after my playing career for a year while I was in business school to understand how the front office functioned. Um, but man, I hadn't I hadn't been in school since 2004. You know, so this is 2016. I think I got my first laptop in 2004. Had never I like never understood how to even open Excel. Um, so that was kind of my motivation was like, okay, let's go, let's go dive into the financial world. I had been investing in real estate since 2010. Um, and I was really focused on passive income investments, uh, just buying right and, and solving, you know, a little problem at the property in order to go get a good rent and a good tenant. Um, always bought in, in, in above average locations. And it was not a, like the strategy wasn't brilliant at all, but that's what I learned about real estate is you don't, you don't have to have a brilliant strategy to be successful. You need to be consistent and you need, you need to have some, some rules to follow. And as you go and buy properties. So when I was in business school, was, I had these two competing worlds for my future. And one was, yeah, stay in soccer, try to become a GM or president one day. And the other was, well, focus on what you can control and grow your real estate portfolio. And so played in Dallas, great market, invested in Dallas. Played in LA, I live in Long Beach, invested in Long Beach, another great market. My wife's from Stockton, Northern California. We invested in Stockton. So all these little places where I had some, uh, what I thought strategic advantage, I would go and invest in and exploit some um, opportunities that were largely exploiting the, the opportunities that come with relationships and real estate. Um, so that just led to, you know, I look up and I'm in business school and I had seven homes that I owned and were leasing for, for cash flow. And I always thought that if I got hurt or, you know, no one wanted to sign me to an MLS contract, I could fall back on my investments in real estate. Um, but I didn't have any more time. So when I was in business school, what I started looking for was other real estate investment options. And that's where I was exposed to a group called Champion Real Estate. Um, the patriarch is a guy named Bob Champion. His son, Garrett, was in my class. So I started investing in, in their deals. And it just gave me exposure to this commercial real estate world that I fell in love with. And you know how, I mean, you know, you know how it is just through your own experiences and through the people that you played with. Retiring from professional sports is extremely difficult. You think that there's going to be jobs and people waiting for you to help you. And my phone never rang. No one ever called me. Not like, it wasn't, you know, I retired and I didn't have a phone call that was like, Hey Dan, how can I help you? Actually, you know what? That Tim Harris, president of, of, of Lakers, he reached out to me and I didn't know him, but he's a yeah. soccer fan. And so I had like, I, th I just thought like, oh, you know, this transition, something great's going to happen. Well, nothing really ever happened. 
And as I got deeper into working in the Galaxy front office, it became more and more clear to me that building my own real estate investment shop was the best thing that I could do for, for my time and my family. And so that's, you know, that was the, the all the motivation I needed. Now you brought up a couple of great points. Uh, first of all, sometimes you got to, you know, take it on yourself. You know, you have a great career, great guy, people respect you and still, um, people will not go out their way because you selfish world, you know, it, Dan <laughs> Kennedy, true. he has a lot of potential. I don't want him taking my spot. Uh, <laughs> it's crazy. It's, yeah. it's, it's a tough environment, tough yeah. environment. And then you mentioned, you know, investing in where, you know, and I think, you know, the, the fact that you, you lived in Dallas, you, you know, you created uh, relationships there, LA, you, you know, that area, Stockton, you know, that area. Um, I think that's very important because there's so many things that athletes can invest in um, and it's all exciting and it's all like really cool, but invest in what you know, um, you can get the best return and, the, and provide the most value. And then lastly, you talked about passive income. So as athletes, you know, earned income is what we know. You know, you play well, you hit your marks, you get your bonuses, you get your appearances, but that can all go away in a moment's notice. So talk about the importance of cash flow and passive income. Yeah. You know, maybe when you have like an emergency um, or during a state of free agency. Yeah. Okay. So couple couple things to touch on the first point, like investing where, you know, the reason why we love investing in real estate is because it is a very inefficient marketplace. Okay. We have the, we have the, the, the public markets that are the equity markets that are very efficient day trading. Everything is priced at, to perfection. And then a quarterly report comes out and things adjust or, a stimulus bill gets passed and things adjust, right? Mm -hmm. You have immediate efficiencies in, in the equity markets. And from there, I am going to have some visitors here. My kids just got home from school. Oh no! You're um, so from there in real estate, highly inefficient market, we can have two identif identical properties that were both built in the same year side by side. And we can have one that in 30 years has not had anything invested into it. So it's super tired. And then we can have the other one that's just been renovated and it's operating at a, at a premium. And those two pro real estates always valued based on what it earns. So the property that's, that's running at maximum efficiency is going to be worth more. And so we see this all the time where we're buying apartments in Santa Barbara, California, and we got an eight unit that's extremely run down, extremely tired. And now, Say what's up to Moby. Hi, Moby. Hey, how's everything going? What's up? Um, Go do your thing, buddy. Let me finish. Let me finish up this call. I don't know. Ask me. Um. So. So. Let me get back into this. So, so the, the the inefficiencies of real estate is where there's opportunity, right? And then it's like, yeah, okay, Santa Barbara, California. I went to UCSB. Uh, one of my teammates at UCSB is a principal at the biggest real estate shop on Central Coast. Okay, well now we have we have deal flow. We got <laughs> we have premium access to deal flow. You cannot go source deals in Santa Barbara better than me, right? So mm -hmm. that's where the that's where we create opportunity is we buy well, okay? And then when we think about cash flow, cash flow is the king in real estate. And so we take on risk all the time with properties that do not cash flow, but we're repositioning them. And it's always in an effort to go and stabilize them and get them cash flowing again, right? That's where the, the real value is created. But in a, time, in, a, in a world that is uncertain, COVID impact, one of the investment arms that we focus on is yield and cash flow and, and consistent cash flow. So we have a arm of investments, out-of-state investments and industrial warehouses. And we are predominantly focused, yes, on the real estate, um, how the market is performing uh, from a data perspective. We think about vacancy, lease rates. And then once we check the boxes of if we like an area, then we are fully focused on the business that's in that building and how successful we think they can or cannot be. And so when COVID happens, <clears throat> you have the equity markets freak out. And so if you owned Apple stock, your Apple stock dropped, mm -hmm. right? Now it recovered, but it did drop. 
in our properties, we had no impact. Right. And so the yeah. cash flow just consistently came in 8% a year, 8% a year. We reached out to our tenants. Hey, how you doing? Man, no problem here. Nothing to see. We're going to honor our lease and, and we move on. Right. Mm-hmm. Now we have to be prepared if there's an issue with the tenant that, okay, do we have the cash reserves to go solve that problem? So we are very conservative in how we buy buildings, but this is, this is, um, the levels of sophistication and real estate investment is always cash management. And, you know, I, I used to buy houses and just be like, ah, oh, I got, you know, 20, 30 grand in my savings account. Something happens. I can handle it. Right. I never had like a reserve account that was just specifically for that property. And that's, that's where, you know, if you want to be a mom and pop real estate owner, it probably looks like how I invested in real estate from 2010 through 2017 and taking it to the next step is to get a bit more professional and responsible with what you're doing. And then you're also managing a little bit more strictly the property managers. You're trying to uh, manufacture more value out of the properties that you own because in the end now, I don't just represent my own money. We invest in every deal with our investors, but by, by representing investors money, I got to report to people like you to my friends, to my family, to my family's friends. And so now you start to think about like, okay, we need to get to the finish line on this business plan as quickly as possible. That's the, that's how we can de-risk our investment in the deal. Um, And once we realize and execute the business plan, now it'll be our job to analyze and understand, does it make sense to sell this property? Or does it make sense to refinance it? Or does it make sense just to, just to hold it and, and, and do nothing? No, I love what you said about like transitioning from mom and pop to like, it's, everything's official. You got your systems in order. Because I remember I got my spot in Philly and I was trying to do it. Mind you, you know, as we get traded. So I'm like, oh, you need a problem? All right, I'm going to call my buddy. He's going to come. To the-. I was like, no way. I'm getting a property manager. I'm handling this the right way. Right. So when you said that, it really, you know, really stuck out. But you said something that's really now that you have investors and you have to report to them and their money is, you know, your performance with their money, it brings up a great point about, you know, the pressure. And I know a lot of athletes, they transition into real estate and they do a great job. How have your skills as a, you know, as a professional athlete helped you in your line of work today? Well, I didn't come up with this tagline, uh, but I'm going to But you're saying it, so it counts. I'm going to own it. I'm going to own it. And it's really about being being comfortable, being uncomfortable. I mean, that's the world we, you and I lived every single day was like, get, you, you need to go and get out of your comfort zone if you're going to be a great athlete on the field. You're going to walk into um, Sounder Stadium on Sunday and you're going to have fire. Every time a goal scored, I got fire blowing <laughs> up on the back of my neck and I'm giving yeah. up five goals, right? So like those moments are are – are really not made for everybody. And as an athlete, you get conditioned to peak perform in, in very difficult environments. Right. And that's what I'll like, when people ask me, do you miss it? I'm like, yeah, I miss it. Are you kidding me? Of course I miss it. Physically. I don't miss it. (laughs) My body hurts every, my body hurts every single day. But those moments were like, even when, when you're up against it, you know, like I remember some games in Salt Lake where it's like, minus 75 degrees and wind chill and cold. And I'm standing back there going, I'm just going to get hammered today. Right. Um, But in real estate, like we, we, first of all, Matt and I take on risk every single day because we're making investments based on assumptions and, and, and placing a bet on what we think can happen. Now it's an educated, it's an educated bet. Um, But we sign on to the debt. And we take responsibility for the property management. And when you get a deal in contract, like we're hoping to today or tomorrow, actually, we're hoping to get a deal in, in Minnesota in contract. And so we've gone through 30 days of work to try to get this deal in contract. And then we're going to get it in contract and we're going to have 30 days of due diligence. And then we're going to have 30 days until we got to buy it. And I mean, there's some serious goals that have to be met in 60 days. Right. And we don't today it's an $8 million property. We're going to need like 
2.4, $2.6 million to buy it. We don't have that today. Matt and I, Matt and I will invest 10% into the deal, but we need to go then find 90% of the equity from our investors, which is uncertain. Um, So we have all these like uncertainties happening simultaneously. And for a lot of people, this would not be a very productive environment because it's very stressful for Matt and I that's living. Like this is us, like us doing this, doing these deals is living and representing people in their best, in their best interest and being a a partner with them because we are truly a partner. We invest side by side in every single deal. Um, And one of the things like when you think about team, right? One, One of the things I miss more than anything is just showing up, cup of coffee, training room, little warm up, little 5v2, yeah. right? The team environment is what I miss. Well, I get a sense of that today, you know, like quarterly distributions go out, quarterly updates go out. I'm getting phone calls from people that I want to, I want to work with, you know? Um, so, and, and it all requires all of this because it's driven capital partners as Matt and I and our employees, it all requires um, leadership. And something that I felt like I was actually probably a better leader than I was a soccer player. Um, but I, I love having an impact um, with, pe- with the people that I work with. And I get to work with people in my team of German Capital Partners, but I also get to work with brokers um, that, that give us deals and then represent us when we sell them. And they get to make money on the deal. And then I also work with our cohort of investors, which is now almost a hundred people. Um, so it's, it's an exciting place to, to do business. Um, I don't, you know, I don't have 90, I don't have a work week and then 90 minutes to uh, say whether that work week was good or not, but I think I prefer that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think, you know, what's important to take away is that you found your second game and the best athletes that transition are the ones that find their second game. You know, you talk about the goals of having to raise 90%, you talk about you know putting your you know putting your money your own money up too because no one likes a teammate that's going to tell people to do the work but not you know do the work themselves. That's right. Um, it, it, it's 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 really important to see and uh, it's really great you know from a trusting aspect you know for the investors. Hey, what's up? I'm Amobi Kugo, aka a frugal athlete. So check this out. We came out with an all new, extensive, brand new course. Our course, Rookie Mistakes, is a course that helps young athletes and individuals avoid the common mistakes when starting your career. I provide real-life examples, lessons, insights, all that and more to teach you how to identify the rookie mistakes before you make them. And trust me, I've made a lot. It's all about giving yourself the best foundation and head start to build financial and career stability. For more information or to get the course, check out the link in bio. And uh, you talked about leadership and something I want to mention, you know, with Driven Capital Partners is, you know, COVID hit and a lot of people were looking for answers. And, you know, instead of like going back into your safety net or your shell, you kind of reached out and created impact for a lot of soccer guys and even other athletes in terms of answering questions, doing weekly calls from an educational standpoint. Can you talk about that from a little bit, a little perspective? I know there's some privacy issues. Yeah. So you can imagine like we're, we're three years old, our company, we're, we're, we're young. Um, and a year ago, we're two years old and COVID happens. And we have, I think at the time we probably had maybe seven to nine deals under management. And we were, um, we felt like we had a lot of momentum and we had about seven deals in contract. So we were looking to have a, a huge year in 2020. Mm-hmm. And Matt and I, we, we, you know, we saw Asia shut down, saw Europe shut down, saw New York shut down. And we're like, this is happening. California shuts down. And so we basically just put everything on pause and focused every, all of our attention on everything that we own, right? It's the best thing we can do. Control what you can control in uncertainty. And now we basically cut off our pipeline of deal flow Okay. So we said, okay, we're not doing deals for 90 days and, and, and cycles of real estate deals can take, I mean, we, we, we had a deal that we closed. It took, it took seven months. So if you stop pursuing deals for three months, you're probably another three, four months away from deals anyway. And we're just trying to analyze like what's the impact on real estate? What's the impact on the sectors that we're in? 
so if you know anything about me, Amovi, there's, I'm terrible at standing still, you know? <laughs> so I felt, I felt kind of the opportunity. We're all stuck at home. That's, let's have, that's, let's create a little bit of a community for people that are interested in real estate investing. And let's just talk about it. And so, and I forgot who reached out to me initially to start this, but I don't know, any given week, we'd have 12 to 20 guys on a, on a call. And I would just be reviewing real deals that we did, uh, how they've shaken out, which think deals are always fun because you put a business plan in place and then you have to go try to execute it in a world that's fluid. Um, so it was, for me, it was just about being proactive and continuing to exercise the opportunity to learn. And that's not just, you know, it, it's learning is a two way street because yeah. there's as much as I may be able to teach you, certainly you can teach me, you know, and so getting in front of people that are interested in investing in real estate, whether they invest with me or not, there's a huge, um, there's a huge benefit for me when people like you call me and say, Hey, Dan, can you look at this deal for me? Because I don't know, maybe I can help you think a little bit more critically. Maybe I save you, maybe we can save you some money or maybe we can get some reinforcement that, yeah, this is a good deal and you're going to go make some money, which is the preferred outcome. Obviously. Preferred outcome, yeah. 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 No, that's, 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 it's really important, you know, for athletes to understand like, you know, massive impact leads to massive income. So, um, you know, whether or not you d get a direct uh, correlation of the people that you helped, you know, it'll all come back, you know, um, at a later time or you might not even know exactly. it. So exactly. And, you know, this is the other th th this is the real value we're trying to create through our business is to say, hey, we we're going to go do 10 to 12 deals a year. You or anybody can look at all of them and can invest in none of them or all of them. Yeah. It's, it, it, there's no obligation. We make the decision that this is something we wanna go pursue and we're gonna go get that deal done. So what this allows people to do is to come along for the ride, learn, see what we're doing and participate if you're so inclined, right? Um, but also like there, there's, there's a couple guys in Major League Soccer that have invested with me to understand the syndication model to understand how we're analyzing deals, how we report to investors and they're going in their own market and trying to do the same thing, which yeah. now like this is, this is um, a space in which you can create an income for yourself so that when your playing days are over, you're, you built yourself a little bit of, of cash flow and passive income on the side that's working for you. Yeah, and that's a great point. you know, so the, yeah, this is uh I would never, I've always had an overwhelming interest in, in real estate and particularly not like, I never really wanted to be a broker. I always wanted to be an investor. You know, I always wanted to yeah. own it and manage it. Um, and for me, it's a, it's a great way to now, my, my hope is to have a greater impact on major league soccer through improving people's lives by investing in real estate than I ever had on the field, which shouldn't be hard to beat. Uh, <laughs> no, you're, no, I mean, you're well on your way. If you can help me invest, if you can help me get into the storage unit game, because, you know, we move around a lot. I spent two years in, uh, spending money on a storage unit that I like I had furniture that I was never going to use, but I had it in a storage unit. So I was like, you know what? Dan said people invest in storage units. I need to get into that because yeah, yeah. I, I want to be on the other end. Dude, I mean, it's the perfect reoccurring revenue model, right? Yeah. It's like, well, I paid three grand for a couch. I don't need that couch anymore. I can't sell it for anything. Let me put it in a storage unit. Well, now the couch costs you five grand <laughs> and you haven't done anything with it. But I mean, the storage, it's a data. So what we've learned of storage units is it's very specific and it's, it is data driven. Mm -hmm. So there's, if you, if you're serious, I'll introduce you to a couple of sponsors that do, mm -hmm. um, storage units yeah. that operate them and, and do them better than I ever could. So I'll, I'll just make the introduction. So you can get out of your way. No. So let's talk about that because, you know, we talked, we talked previously offline, you know, you talked about, you know, finding experts, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, if I'm trying to do something in Santa Barbara, 
it right. makes no sense for me to go by myself. I just, you went to school there, you lived there, right. you got relationships there. Talk about why it's important to find experts in their space. Well, and candidly, we're not the smartest guys in the block, right? Like there's always somebody that can do some, do what you're trying to do. They can do it better. And so what, what we want to focus on for people is to, to, I want any investor that comes into my deal. I, what I want them to think about is that we will do this better than you can do it. Yeah. You have another job. You have other responsibilities. You are not thinking about real estate as critically as we are every single day, right? Um, so we are naturally going to be in a better position than most to go operate assets successfully. Um, and we've spent a tremendous amount of time building these relationships. So one of the, an, another line that I will repeat, not my own, but I'll own it, is real estate is one of the only industries that insider trading is legal. <laughs> I like that one. I'm going to have to write that one down. Think about this for a second. Yeah. You, you and I can have access to a deal, know something that no one else knows, which makes it an opportunity or yeah. makes it a dog, right? Mm -hmm. And so by having, by having what we're always looking for is an informational advantage, um, which in the stock market, you're never supposed to be able to have. Um, that's where we exploit opportunities is with the informational advantage. And when we see trends and we think that, you know, we'll create a thesis based on a trend that we're seeing, and then we'll go try to hammer it and, and create some scale and opportunity there. Uh, that's a great quote. I definitely wrote it down. And you, know, you talk about real estate, you know, the insider training being legal, but yeah. And this is like, this is like, we're thinking ethically, of course, yeah. like this is, this is ethically we're doing, we're working within the rules of the game. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but that's, it, it's part of the game is you can go have an informational advantage and, and make money because of it in real estate. Yeah. And I love real estate too, because at the end of the day, someone's always going to need something somewhere to live, somewhere to store something. So Probably it's, apart, it's, maybe. yeah, it's never, it's never going away. Um, but you talked about the deal flow process and obviously, you know, you help people, you know, we, we talked offline about a deal that I'm potentially looking at. What's your like criteria when it comes to, um, the factors that everyone needs to look at from a deal, uh, from a deal flow perspective. Yeah. So we're, we're very sensitive to price per square foot when we purchase. Okay. So think about that. So we're buying 160,000 foot industrial warehouse building in St. Louis next week. We're going to close on it. And the price per square foot is so important because we want to make sure that no one could build what we're buying for cheaper. And we want to understand from a leasing perspective, what we're earning on that square footage, right? And how that how that compares to market. So we're all we always want to buy on the very affordable side of price per square foot. And we also want to buy on the affordable side of lease per square foot. Because what that'll what that'll lead to is when it comes time for a negotiation of the lease with the tenant, then they're going to look around the marketplace and say, well, we, we have one of the we have one of the best deals in town. We don't want to leave, you know. And so we say that's that that gives you the ability to have very sticky tenants, tenants that never leave. And it also gives us the ability to say, hey, Amobi, you're ten percent below market. I you don't need to. I'm not expecting you to pay market rents, okay? uh -huh. but I need you to come up four percent. You know, I need you to come up a little bit just to get you a little bit closer to market. Can we agree on that? Okay, let's go get a deal done. And so that's, you know, that's the context as to when we go buy something out of state, we want, we're not the guys that sit at the table and say, oh, there's five other buyers here. Let's, let's see how high we can go. Mm -hmm. We just, backed, we backed out of a deal in Wisconsin because of that. They're like, oh, it's best and final. We gave them our best and final. They came back again and said, oh, now we're going to do best and final. We're like, ah, we're out. <laughs> out of a deal. You know, we're not yeah. like, you got to be, you, you really need to uh, create some value on, on the purchase. Um, so that's our one set of criteria for the industrial investments is very, we want to be purchasing affordable buildings with leases that are under market. And we want to have tenants in those buildings that we love. We love their business. Um, so that would, you know, we think that they'll thrive in the next five, 10 years. And then the apartment side, similar, 
we want to be buying buildings that leases are completely mismatched with the market. So typically like 30 to 40% below market. And it's, and it's that way for a reason, because you walk into these buildings and the current owner hasn't done anything with them for 20 or 30 years. And, yeah. and quite frankly, so in some cases, people should not be living in these buildings. It's not healthy. So we like, we want to go buy those, give the tenants a compensation package to leave because we, we operate apartments in California. It's a state requirement and we actually feel good about it. We say, Hey, like you, you're, you're getting a smoking deal on a very unsafe, environment in some mm -hmm. cases so let us give you a compensation package to move out and go find a better apartment for you and your family or just yourself and here's our property manager who has a bunch of apartments that you can move into and then we substantially renovate the building new plumbing new electrical new roof um, and we make it well we make Ooh. it nicer than the <laughs> house i live in <laughs> so we make it we, we try what we try to make is really cool places to live um and 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 really solid locations and that's the you know in apartments you're going to get you're going to be protected pretty well in an economic decline when you have a very desirable location and a very nice building rents may drop they might you know they could um but it's not like you're going to go from 100 to zero and that's why historically the apartment um uh sector has performed so well um during financial crisis in, in yeah. general the, the the apartment uh, asset class has is is one of the safest places to be no uh, thank you for sharing so uh, every time i have someone that's in the real estate space on the podcast i get a bunch of questions like how can i reach out to them how can i reach out to them because they have so much extra questions can yep. you give us like a real estate 101 terminology class because we was talking about irrs oh man PM, cap oh. rates just yep. like the basic just like yeah. the little basics because i feel like it's a whole new language yeah. and so for the people that are listening uh, just so they can get some context of you know some of the jargon and things that it you know jargon, you it, is, it, it is lingo it's like it's like if you put um joe buck famous commentator yeah. right baseball golf football he does he can do it all if you put him on, him on a soccer game, he would be like, "Oh, and uh, the, uh, the kick. you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's ling for whatever reason, commercial real estate has this lingo that is just it's it's over the top, and it takes a while to learn. <clears throat> so from the top, we're always valuing assets based on a, a cap rate. A cap mm -hmm. rate is a, a percentage of what the property earns. Um, if you were to if you were to pay for it in cash so we have in california we have very low cap rates which means your yield on investment is lower but it's lower because the real estate here is supposed to be premium right so if you go into the middle of oklahoma in some podunk city that you've never heard of the cap rate is going to be really high because in order for me and you to invest there, we're going to need a higher return on our investment. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So, yeah. so cap rates typically in major markets are lower than they are uh, in secondary tertiary markets. So just and, and whenever you see a low cap rate, just understand that there'll be low cash flow on the property. Okay. Um, so that's a, probably a poor explanation of a cap rate um irr well what what is irr I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out right this is a it's a it's a financial tool it's a financial modeling tool that lives in spreadsheets and it tells us um what our net present value of the average annual return will be right so what <laughs> does what does that mean right well typically what we say is like we're, we're targeting ranges. And what we want to try to explain to investors is that we've actually moved away from IRR because of its complexity. And we've moved more towards average annual return, mm -hmm. which is a little bit easier to understand. It's like, oh, okay, well, after we sell the property, I should expect an average annual return of 15%. Okay. That's that a little bit easier to understand. Um, so, 
we're, we're just because of the complexities of IRR. I can't even explain it. I have, I, we have a senior analyst on our team who is brilliant in Excel. And sometimes the Excel function of IRR does not match up with equity multiple. Yeah. Well, another so term. <laughs> that's, that's shift towards it. So equity multiple says, Hey, Amobi, if you invest in this apartment deal and we hold it for three years, you can expect a 2.0 equity multiple. What does that mean? Well, that means whatever your investment was, multiply it by the equity multiple. And that's what your total sum return should be. So if you invested $100,000 and in three years, we expect a 2.0 equity multiple, then you would, you would multiply your $100,000 by the 2.0 equity multiple, which would equal $200,000. That's what you should expect to receive back. So that means you got paid your $100,000 of original investment and you made $100,000. And that would be an amazing investment. To translate that into IRR, that should be around a 33% IRR, right? Because mm -hmm. you made over three years, you made 100% of your, your money back. So that you, you just take your the money that you made back and divide it by three. And that's your average annual return, right? So mm -hmm. all of this is like, we, we use all of these financial metrics to explain returns. And we want to explain returns a couple different ways because it shows you how you're getting paid over a period of time. You know, if I just told you, hey, it's a 2.0 equity multiple deal, you'd be like, oh, okay, I'm going to double my money. That's great. Well, if I told you you were going to double your money in two years, that's almost unbelievable. Yeah. If I told you I was going to double your money over 40 years, you'd be like, Dan, stop wasting my time. So that's why we have to use these tools in conjunction with one another. Um, and in real estate, if you ever see a really high return, just understand that it's a really risky deal. Typically our highest returns are in our, are in our development deals. And that's, that's should be standard quo across, across the board. Are we willing to take on that risk? Yeah, absolutely. If it's the right deal. And then, our lowest average returns are in the consistent cash flowing assets that are boring and should, you know, from a management perspective, we check in every month. We're like, okay, the check deposited. Um, there was two toilets that were clogged and those got cleared and the tenants are doing great. And uh, okay. Check in on you next month. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. Make sure the property taxes are paid and the insurance is paid and make sure you're covering the, um, the liability to the investor. Uh, that's what it's all about. So, you know, athletes, that's why it's so important to like ask the right questions, ask the tough questions, ask multiple questions, um, and also educate yourself. And obviously, uh, Dan, this wasn't something you got drafted in 2005 and you immediately knew how to do. Um, you built your education, you built your expertise over time. So for any athlete, whether it's real estate or anything that you, you know, recommend for them to do, what advice do you have for someone from a personal finance perspective, from a, you know, building their career perspective, both on and off the field? Well, I, I mean, geez, what a loaded question. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I could go on for another hour. Um, well, I think mentorship is huge, huge. Uh, we, as an athlete, as a young athlete, as an athlete in general, you're young, you're healthy, and you're making more money than you will be when you're done playing. That's the, that's the. Say that again, please. Say that again, please. Because people when think. <laughs> yeah. When you're an athlete, you're young, you're healthy, and you're going to be making more money playing than when you are done playing. When you're done playing, it's going to be very hard for you to start making that money back. And so you need to protect it. And, and to protect it, you need to invest it. If you, if you just simply save in cash and savings accounts, you're going to lose to inflation all day long, right? And investing is like exercising. And if, if I go and invest one time a year, but I invest everything, doesn't mean I'm going to be financially fit, right? Like what I want to do is can, I, want to, I want to have a strategy just like when I was playing. Okay, it's Monday. This is what I do on Mondays. It's Tuesday. This is what I do on Tuesdays and play small chips, have an investment strategy, have a plan so that if I can play for 10 years and I can make X amount of money, 
I'm able to invest a good amount of that. And by the end of the 10 years, I now have a handful of buckets of different investments, right? And so for me, I had my 401k, which for athletes makes no sense at all. I'm going to, I'm going to go and put away, you know, 20 grand a year into an account that I can't touch. So I'm 59 and a half and I'm going to retire when I'm 35. Like this is not. I love that you brought that up. I've been arguing with people back and forth. So this is not your sole investment strategy. It can't be. Now, is there a place for it? Yes, but it's a very small place. Okay. You need to invest in the stock market. Yes, absolutely. You need exposure to it, right? Um, This is an opportunity for you to have liquidity and an investment. So you can go hold a bunch of different stocks, preferably maybe you want to talk to an investment advisor about, you don't want to go and I, Dan Kennedy certainly doesn't want to go and pick 20 stocks and call it a day. Um, I have no expertise in the space. So rely on somebody smarter than you and go learn from them. If there's something that you like, like, Oh, Uber eats is just going to absolutely crush it. I'm going to go and invest in Uber eats. Okay, fine. Have that conversation with your investment advisor so that you don't go invest $150,000 in that and then only have $50,000 invested in everything else. Um, And it's about being consistent. So, you know, for me, I'm always trying to invest a certain amount of money in every single deal we do. And by doing that, naturally, I get diversification and I get diversification in asset class, in marketplace and in timing, which timing is so important in it when you invest, right? Like if you would have invest, if you bought a bunch of shares in any stock yesterday, you probably paid top top, right? The yeah. was higher than it's ever been, right? So you probably paid absolutely premium for everything where last week you yeah. could have had a 10% discount, right? So timing is so important. So that's why I want to buy, you know, we want to buy 10 deals a year and have it sprinkled out once a month. And so when you think about where are we going to be in three or five years, well, those deals are going to start selling. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to have these different windfalls coming at me in, in, at, at different times. And as an investor, that gives you a great problem because when your investments go full cycle and you have money coming back in, hopefully you don't need that money and you can continue to invest it. And that's in real estate where you really start to build up a portfolio and that's kicking off a really nice healthy return. So I've done some like financial modeling for athletes to think about if you, you know, if you could afford to invest 25, 50, 75, hundred grand a year over 10 years, when you retire, you, your, your passive income, theoretically, if you're making sound investments, should be well over $100,000 a year in passive income, which you and I sit back and go, well, if I had that, I wouldn't, I would, I wouldn't have to work yeah. immediately. Now, it doesn't, mean you it, yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean you don't want to work, but what it, what it allows you to do, and this is what it allowed me to do, was to choose what you want to go and pursue. And when you and I sit here, both entrepreneurs, we have the luxury of motivation because we love what we're doing. Well, we know, we know plenty of people that that's not the case. So this is, this is why the education um, and access to learning about how you can make your money work for you is so important because when you retire, we talked about it when we started this call. Nobody's calling you. <laughs> no one's calling you. No. Yeah, how many it's people, not the same. Obi, how many people have called you and been like, hey, I got a job for you. I got, I got, I'm going to, I want you to walk away from everything you're doing because you're going to come work for me and I got a job for you. Has anybody, has any, has that ever happened to you? Not from the soccer space. It's actually right. been from the entrepreneurship space. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. yeah. And so, you know, we all expect like, oh, I have a place. I, this is my game. You know, I, this is what I achieved on the field. I never got that call. You know, yeah. you know my experience. You know how active I was off the field. I got an MBA. I tried to set myself apart. And so that's what the majority of people need to be prepared for. And it's a, t- it's a brutal reality um, for the guys that didn't do any planning and their career ends before they thought it would. And then you have all this financial stress and you're accustomed to making good money. And you have kids, you have a wife, and 
you know, that's when things can get really complicated and be really, really hard on people. Uh, that's a, I mean, as I couldn't have said it better myself. You touched on a lot of great points and thank you so much for taking the time and all that you do, not only helping myself, well, but we talked about doing this for six months. I'm glad we can make it happen. Oh yeah, most definitely. I want to, I want to, you don't know it now, but I'm going to come back to you and we're going to make like a whole real estate template of all these terminologies so we can give to our audience. I think um, I, I, I can actually forward you some stuff. Oh, appreciate that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for the people that, you know, really like what you said or want to connect with you, where can they find you? Uh, so our company is called Driven Capital Partners. Uh, Driven is just who Matt and I are as, as people. Yeah. And so that was just within the name. But drivencap.com is our website. And on our website, um, you can subscribe to our mailing list. You can sign up for our investor portal, which gives you access to all the deals that we do. So it's www.drivencap.com. Um, and then you can always reach out to me direct, Dan Kennedy uh, on LinkedIn, um, or you can email me at dan at drivencap.com and that's d-r-i-v-e-n-c-a-p.com thank you so much dan kennedy we're definitely yeah. gonna have all that information in the show notes uh for the audience i hope you guys enjoyed uh that was a real estate master class uh, <laughs> hopefully by the next time we have dan come back on i'll, I'll have a storage uh storage facility by that yeah, time but, <laughs> but in the meantime thank you so much dan i know you got you know deals to close so I appreciate you making the time. Kids running around from school now. <laughs> but buddy, I listen, I'm always so thrilled whenever I see your podcasts or your articles, everything that you send out, um, just creating a positive impact on on people in our community. So I appreciate I appreciate you, man. So thanks for uh, having me. Thanks. I appreciate it. I appreciate yep. it. And uh, see you soon. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in to this podcast episode. For more information, check out the show notes and go to our website, www.afrugalathlete.com. If you enjoyed, please leave a favorable rating and review and share and subscribe. Thank you so much.